This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the active practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, an insurance claims expert witness, and author and producer of these videos. Today it's time to talk about how to negotiate a settlement of a third-party liability claim. After an adjuster determines that coverage exists, that the insured is probably liable for causing bodily injury or property damage to a third person, the adjuster must negotiate a settlement with the claimant or his or her attorney. Just like the plaintiff's attorney in a personal injury case, the insurance adjuster will investigate the claim, the facts of the accident, and the plaintiff's damages. A very skillful and well-prepared insurance adjuster will often know more about the accident and about the plaintiff's background than the plaintiff's lawyer does. The adjuster prepares for making an offer by first getting the insured story of the accident, this is obtained by completing a thorough recorded statement given to the adjuster by the insured explaining what happened and how the accident occurred. The adjuster will then investigate the plaintiff or claimant. The investigation can be as simple as reviewing a claims database compiled by the National Insurance Crime Bureau or the Insurance Services Office, an all-claims database that allows adjusters to determine whether the plaintiff has ever filed a personal injury claim before. The thorough adjuster will also search Google, Bing, Ask, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn to learn as much as possible about the plaintiff. The adjuster must obtain from the plaintiff or the plaintiff's lawyer to introduce him or herself and request that the plaintiff provide documentation relating to the plaintiff's claim. The adjuster will review medical records, medical bills, proof of earnings, tax returns, and proof of property damage. If the initial medical records indicate that the plaintiff may not have had a prior injury or complaints to the body part that was injured in the accident that led to the current claim, a competent adjuster will obtain all prior medical records for any treatment the plaintiff or claimant has ever had for that condition. If the plaintiff or claimant is self-employed and claims lost earnings, the adjuster will usually request that the plaintiff produce business records to document the lost income. The documentation obtained will be reviewed carefully by a competent adjuster. The adjuster should read every page on the medical records and bills to see if anything is missing. If anything suggests that the plaintiff has had prior conditions or that the plaintiff is malingering or if the plaintiff lost earnings claim seems to be unsupported by facts or documents. The adjuster should never make a settlement offer or respond to a settlement demand until the adjuster has every document that he or she needs 
in order to value the case. Once the adjuster has all the claimant's or plaintiff's medical records and bills, and all of the other information that he or she needs to value the case, he or she will, based on experience, knowledge of the local jurisdiction, and experience and knowledge of the local jury verdicts for the same type of accident and injury, and will be in a position in order to value the case. And in so doing, the adjuster has to think about what are the plaintiff's chances of winning a trial? How much might a jury award the plaintiff? How amenable is the claimant and his or her counsel to negotiate a settlement? How much experience does the claimant's lawyer have in trial? And what percentage of responsibility falls upon the insured and the claimant? If, for example, the plaintiff has damages that approach a million-dollar judgment if the jury finds the adjuster's insured liable but has little, if any, chance of winning a trial, then an adjuster should never offer much to settle. The obverse is also true. If there is a good chance of success at trial, the adjuster and insurer should be prepared to offer a sum close to but still less than the jury verdict value. Once the adjuster has decided what the plaintiff's chances of winning are, he or she will think about the plaintiff's damage claim. Damages in personal injury cases are usually divided into two categories. Damages capable of exact calculation. Medical bills, lost earnings, cost to repair or replace damaged property and damages not capable of exact calculation but are more speculative, such as pain, suffering, or inconvenience. For medical bills and lost earnings, the adjuster simply adds them up. If they are legitimate and presented by a legitimate organization like a hospital, the adjuster recognizes that hospital and physician billings are flexible. If the plaintiff is on Medicare or Medicaid, the hospital or physician by contract charge much less than they charge a person without insurance or on a lien where the physician agrees to only require payment when the lawsuit is settled or a judgment is issued in favor of the plaintiff and agrees to take nothing if the lawsuit fails. Adjusters with Full knowledge of the different amounts charged by health care providers will be in a position to honorably discount medical bills if they appear to be soft, meaning that the vast majority of the medical bills come from health care providers other than physicians and hospitals. If, for example, a plaintiff had $7,000 of medical bills, but $6,800 of the bills were chiropractic and physical therapy bills, the adjuster will consider it appropriate to cut the medical bill claim in half for valuation purposes. The adjuster should also determine whether the medical bills presented by the insured were paid by a third party like a health insurer, Medicaid, or Medicaid. These entities often pay much less than the amount billed as a result of contracts with health care providers. 
For example, I once dealt with a case where medical bills were presented in excess of $3 million, only to find that the health care providers accepted as full payment $200,000 from Medicare, who had a lien upon the settlement with the tortfeasor insured. The settlement negotiations changed exponentially when the true amount of medical billing was established. To be recoverable, a medical expense must both be incurred and reasonable. This was the decision of Howell versus Hamilton Meats, a, a 2011 decision of the California Supreme Court. The California Court of Appeals also noted, quote, initial medical bills are generally insufficient on their own as a basis for determining the reasonable value of medical services. Cases have held that a plaintiff who relies solely on evidence of unpaid medical charges will not meet his burden of proving the reasonable value of medical damages with substantial evidence. This was a 2019 case called Von Antz versus Ozawa, California Court of Appeal. Determining the value of pain and suffering is, since it is mostly speculative and subjective, creates a real struggle both for plaintiff's attorneys and insurance adjusters. Adjusters these days have the assistance of formulas and specialized software to assign a value to the subjective pain, suffering, and inconvenience claims. A key component of the bodily injury claim demand made by the claimant are the medical specials, which, as the Howell case made clear, may be inflated and at times unrelated to the claim. Just because the attorney says it is so, doesn't make it so. In many instances, there are various degrees of subjectivity and findings. There are also numerous opportunities for billing errors or even intentional billing fraud. Claims adjusters should be aware that there is a high probability that medical bills contained in a bodily injury claim demand are upcoded or unbundled. It is also possible there are issues pertaining to causation, duration, and frequency of treatment. It is the job of the adjuster to identify these issues, raise questions, often documented with the assistance of third-party medical billing review software, such as Mitchell International's decision point to identify potential fraud billing errors, or improper edits by further levering medical experts or those fluent in billing and coding, a tremendous amount of medical inflation can be avoided. By coupling this knowledge with proper liability assessment, the benefit to the insurers and the consumer can be significant. When the bodily injury claim demand is received, the adjuster should review all contents to ensure that they include the necessary documentation to complete the injury evaluation. 
There should also be a notation of any time limit demand requirements with the appropriate action taken to ensure a timely response. Generally, this requirement is met by either tendering an offer when warranted or notifying the attorney in writing of additional documentation necessary to complete the injury evaluation and a request for a extension of the time limit. In my experience, I have found all kinds of different ways to deal with first-party or third-party liability claims, and once had a case where a chiropractor had given up for a monthly fee a rubber stamp with his signature and allowed an attorney to just create medical reports and medical billing, use his rubber stamp, and create false and fraudulent claims. It took many years to catch this claim crime, and eventually the lawyer was prosecuted and convicted of insurance fraud, while the chiropractor just lost his money and even maintained his license to practice, although it was obvious that he was stealing. So, if fraud is not involved, if the billing looks logical and appropriate, it is time for the adjuster to make a first settlement offer. Once the adjuster has calculated a settlement value, then he or she has to decide what to offer. The first offer is almost never the value calculated and the authority the adjuster obtained from management. The first offer is going to be a percentage of what the insurer thinks is the final value of the case if a trial occurs. An insurer's software or the adjuster's experience and investigation may dictate precisely what the first offer should be. For example, the insurer may require the first offer to be 40% or 60% of the settlement value the adjuster has calculated. There is no industry-wide standard on this. Different insurers have different procedures different cases with different fact situations, different health care providers, and different management will cause the initial offer to be sent to be different, as will the potential of a comparative negligence finding against the plaintiff. Adjusters, of course, have leeway to adjust the first offer depending on who he or she is dealing with. If the adjuster is dealing with an unrepresented plaintiff, the offer will usually be lower than if the plaintiff has a lawyer. If the adjuster is dealing with a very competent, experienced lawyer who has tried to jury verdict many bodily injury cases, the offer might be higher than average. If, conversely, the adjuster is dealing with an inexperienced bodily injury lawyer or a lawyer who is known to never go to trial, the offer should and would be lower than average. There is no perfect method of valuing and negotiating a personal injury claim or suit. Each must be dealt with individually, and the adjuster must be flexible enough 
to obtain a settlement that is agreeable to the insured, the plaintiff for claimant, and the lawyer representing the plaintiff for claimant. Negotiating a final settlement is a little like bargaining to buy something at an outdoor market where haggling is commonplace. The adjuster and the claimant, plaintiff or plaintiff's attorney, both know roughly how much the damage claim is worth. The adjuster knows the most he or she is willing to pay, and the claimant, plaintiff or lawyer, know the least amount they're willing to take. Neither party to the settlement negotiations know how much the other side is willing to pay or receive. As a result, the adjuster and claimant, or his or her lawyer, go through a process of testing each other. The negotiations have been described as a dance of bluff and buster that usually only lasts through two or three phone calls or in-person meetings. The claimant or lawyer may make demands that they believe are at least twice what they're willing to accept, and the adjuster is starting with about half of what the insurer is willing to pay. Here are a few typical steps in the settlement dance engaged in by lawyers and adjusters. 1. The plaintiff or claimant asks for a high amount in a written demand letter. 2. The assurance adjuster tells uh, the claimant with details why he or she believes the claim can never survive a jury trial and most of the negligence is on the plaintiff or claimant. Three, the adjuster will explain that the claimants or plaintiff's lengthy physical therapy or chiropractic treatment was unnecessary or excessive. Four, regardless of the claimants or plaintiff's response, the adjuster makes a low counteroffer to feel out whether there is an immediate need to take any settlement amount. Five, the claimant or plaintiff concedes some of the adjuster's arguments and changes the demand slightly lower to the one in the original demand letter. And six, the insurance adjuster increases the company's offer and the plaintiff seven or claimant either accepts the amount or makes a counter offer. It's usually as simple as that. The main facts determine how an accident settlement comes out are how well the adjuster has prepared all stages of the claim, investigation, supporting documents, demand letters, response, and counter offers and demands how much the plaintiff or claimant is willing to settle for if it falls within the evaluation of the settlement value reached by the adjuster and the insurer will allow the parties to reach agreement. This video was adapted from my book, The Compact Book of Adjusting Liability Insurance Claims 2nd Edition, Available from Amazon.com is both a Kindle book or a paperback. If you found this video to be of use to you, please refer it to your colleagues and subscribe to our blog so that you can learn about future videos. Thank you for your attention.